All right, last week um, I began a series of messages, uh, and our sermon last week was uh, What to Do When the World Shakes. And I hope most of you were here uh, for that sermon, and we're going to try to get it online on the website because it kind of was the, the base for the future uh, messages that uh, we're going to be looking at. We, we took as a, uh, a scripture last week, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, and that is a scripture that we're going to just kind of put as an umbrella over uh, the next week's uh, messages as well. Uh, you know, what do you do when your personal world shakes? Uh, anything private and personal, there's, there's sickness and there's loss. There's financial cave-ins and that. Bigger than that, what are we going to do when the real world shakes? And we looked at some major issues that uh, sort of put a dark cloud over the United States of America and to some point the whole world. But the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 12 and verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. I'm, I'm glad that that scripture is there. That we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken no matter what happens. Privately or publicly. Now the points of that sermon I'm just going to go over for just a minute. We dealt with five different things last week. Number one, people are sinning. That's been common since the beginning of the world, hasn't it? Since Adam and Eve failed in the garden. We're not always sinning, but we all sin. Fall short of the glory of God. We live in a world that's perpetuated by much sin. The second point of the sermon was Satan is scheming. He's an idea guy. He's been around longer than any of us have. He's perfected a whole lot of these strategies of his that started out in the Garden of Eden when he talked to Eve and Adam into eating the forbidden fruit. Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He is the thief, the devil. He will do everything he can to turn your life, my life, upside down. The third point was ideologies or warring. Uh, there are ideologies taken from the foundation of Satan's ideas that compete in this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul talked about the fact that the weapons that you and I fight with as Christians is not the weapons of the world, but the weapons that we have are spiritual. And with those, we can demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's what we're talking about with ideologies. And uh, they come along all the time. And they take on the truth, the Christian truth. Uh, I wish I had the time to go into a few of those. Uh, we did last week. I preached overtime last week, so uh, I won't. Uh, I'll, I'll try to scoot on through this. The, the fourth point is that Western civilization is unraveling. And uh, we talked about the four ideologies that are in our world and will continue to be, and that's the atheist, the Hindu, the Islam, and the Christian. And all of those ideologies are battling each other. And three out of the four are very hard 
core. They're willing to go to any extreme to make sure they win the battle. For Fortunately, Christianity tries to make the world a better place to live. Uh, spreads love far more than those other three entities. But what is happening is that Satan is worming his way into the nations that in, in the past has embraced Christianity and lived for the Lord and, and made the scripture their true foundation. Uh, there is a lot of falling away on the part of America and the other Western European countries. <clears throat> Bad shape, especially spiritually. And then the fifth point was that Christ is prevailing and therefore his people are prevailing. And that, <clears throat> I thought to myself last week when I preached that message, I probably should give out antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicine to anyone that's getting upset by all this because the predictions for our nation and basically for the world are not good. Uh, but Christ said to his disciples and especially to Simon Peter, Upon this rock, the fact that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. There may be some dark days for the church and there may be times that we, we feel like uh, we're not gaining any ground. But Christ said the church, his kingdom will prevail. And when we look back into the past and we see all the times that it looked like God's people, and back in the Old Testament it was Israel, it looked like that Israel was going to be snuffed out totally. They came back because God promised that his people and his kingdom would prevail. So as we look at the conditions that are going on in our world, and from week to week I'm going to bring out more of those conditions and a few more of the statistics that we looked at a few of them last week. Uh, what, what are Christians to do? What's the church supposed to do? It's interesting that there are so many things in our world that we can't control. And that makes it scary, doesn't it? Uh, I, I can't control if North Korea launches nuclear missiles on our nation. I can't control that. I, I can't control the U.S. stock market, whether it goes up or down or whether it crashes or not. That's definitely out of my control. I, I can't control ISIS and other radical terrorist movements that are seeking to kill Americans and destroy Christianity. I can't control what children are being taught in, in American society at large, and that scares me big time. I don't have any personal control over that. I can't control the direction of the cultural change in the United States of America, nor can I control the the battering and the turmoil that's going on politically in this country. It makes you feel like a, a little worm, doesn't it? Unable to do anything or make a difference. I can't control the world that my kids and my grandkids are going to inherit. Personally, I can't control that. And I could go on and on with that list. Uh, we feel somewhat impotent. But there are some things that as a Christian, I can control. And as a local church, there are things that we can control. And those are the things that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. Let me give you just a little example of that. I can control my response to all these things. My response to all these things I can't control. 
I can control whether I respond to them in faith or in fear. And I can make, I can make that decision for me. I can control if I am modeling faith and confidence to my neighbors and my associates and those around me. Am I showing light and salt in my life like Jesus told us we're supposed to do? I can control that for me. I can control what I teach my kids and grandkids and model for them in my daily example. And man, that's a big undertaking. Because they need a good example because they're getting so many bad examples almost everywhere they go. I can control the moral directions of my own life. I can't control the moral directions of you or my kids or my grandkids, but I can control mine. That's my responsibility. That's where I need to start. I can influence who my grandkids will become as people. I can't control it. I can influence it. I can choose to believe that every obstacle I face is an opportunity to reveal my faith relationship with Christ Jesus. Let us never forget that the Bible says that Christians who face obstacles have opportunities. That's why sometimes God puts obstacles in front of us and we think, why in the world do I have to go through that? Because you're a Christian. Because I'm a Christian and he's looking for me to handle that with faith, not fear. I can set a good example for him in my life. Uh, I can choose to believe that God has placed me here now for a reason. Romans 8.28 verifies that. All things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So I would like to encourage us to use this as an exercise to help us and then to help others to move from a spirit of fear to a spirit of faith. Uh, We may not be able to control these giant obstacles that are in our nation and our world, but we know the one who is in control, don't we? And since we know him, all can be well with us. Not necessarily with the world, but with us. So, since Christ and his church is always prevailing, The gates of hell, that's a promise. The gates of hell will not prevail against God's kingdom. There are some things that we can do as individual Christians and as a body of Christ, as a church, that will make a difference in the lives of those around us. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. Don't lose your flavor. You're the light of the world. Don't put a bushel over your candle. These are the areas where we can stand up And uh, we're going to call these things each week declarations. Declarations for the church and for individual Christians. And uh, I hope you'll bear with me and I hope that you'll uh, make each one of these your declaration. So here's number one. That's today. And this is the easy one. Okay? In a world where truth is feeling-based... We will remain rooted to the Christian scriptures and their life-giving direction. Now that feeling-based idea goes back to last week, and I'm going to touch on that just for a second. Uh, Last week when we got into these warring ideologies, we looked at the truth, the, the idea of a truth, because truth is so important. 
You remember Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will keep you or set you free. So there's two ideas going on battling in our nation right now as far as the view of truth. The first is the post-truth view of reality. And those who have the post-truth reality view uh, do not see an objective standard for finding and keeping the truth. In other words, truth fluctuates with uh, what year it is or who, what, what group you're a part of. You remember we, we talked about last week floating anchors? W- w- would you go out to buy an anchor for your boat and buy one that floats? But, but more than 50% of this nation's view of what truth really is is that it's a floating anchor. I have my truth, you have your truth. There's a majority of people, they must have the truth because it's a majority. And therefore they say there is no objective standard for truth. 57% of this nation sits in the post-truth reality. 43% are truth-based. They have a truth-based view of reality. In other words, they believe with all their hearts there is an objective standard that defines good and evil. There is a base. There is a way of determining right from wrong. And that's the Word of God. That's Scripture. Now, a lot of you are thinking to yourself, nah, there couldn't be be under 50% who actually hold to the scriptures as being an objective standard. These are good statistics. I've said several times, we've we've lost the millennial generation. And to a large part, that's the church's fault. Not all, but to a large degree, that's the church's fault. We, We have not provided what the millennial generation needed as far as Christ's kingdom and salvation and, and forgiveness is concerned and worship is concerned. And so we're in this dilemma now, and, and it's going to get worse. The statistics for post-truth view of reality is going to go up, not down. We are, we are going to lose ground as far as the truth, uh, as far as the church is concerned, and we'll get into that Uh, in other messages. Now, how can we remain unshaken in times of of upheaval? Personal times, emotional times, social times, spiritual times. How can we remain unshaken? And the answer is we've got to anchor our faith in the Word of God because it is the truth. Jesus prayed in the prayer of unity in John 17, to his heavenly father, sanctify them or set them apart through thy truth. Your word is truth. That's the objective standard. And the way that we can remain unshaken, even though times are going to get rough, is to believe that that scripture is true. And I'm going to dig my roots just as deep as I can into that. But this is not just for survival. The question we need to be asking is not only how can we survive the things that are around the corner, but how can we flourish? How can we actually thrive in a society of 
chaos and constant change. You know, when you think about the, the early church, they, they had the Roman Empire pressing down upon them. Atheists or multi-polyistic theologies. And yet they thrived. They grew to such a point that the, that the world said, they're turning the world upside down. Um, uh, Donnie's group, Casting Crowns, uh, has a song out now called We Were Made to Thrive. It's a great song. Talking about Christians in the church. We weren't made just to survive. We, we were made uh, to thrive. And you know, that is pictured in, uh, in Psalm chapter 1. The very first psalm, the first three verses, I think, though that's on the screen, I'm not sure. Uh, it, it talks about surviving and thriving. Uh, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and in that law he meditates day and night. Verse 3 says, That person who meditates on Scripture, on the law of the Lord, is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, Whatever they do prospers. You see, we who anchor our lives in the Word of God, we don't just survive, we thrive. We bear fruit. We're, we're alive and well. And that's how we need to look at our Christian lives, our spiritual lives in Jesus. That's how we need to look as a church. We are overcomers. No matter what happens outside these walls, we're safe, we're secure. We're flourishing. We're prospering. Now I want us to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want us to see uh, a scripture here that is so 21st century. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this right before he died. But it's so 21st century. So we're, we're going to look at the first uh, five verses, I believe, is what we, we want to uh, see first. Um, Paul talks about what's, what it's going to be like out there, the things we're going to face. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. You see what I mean about being 21st century? Without love. Unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. Not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then verse 5 says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. And incidentally, down in verse 7, he says, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And it's very important, that phrase that we read up there, having a form of godliness but denying its power. You know who that would be? That would be people who don't believe that the Scriptures is that solid foundation upon which we can build our lives, but, but they're still going to be good people. They still believe in God and all that, but they, they don't believe in the objective standard of God's Word. 
um, we, can, we can identify with these worldly characteristics, especially those phrases that start with lover, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. But without love, he says, one of the things he says is without love. Well, what's he mean there? Without the love that God really has established. Love for him, love for each other. Um, we can identify with those worldly characteristics, but, but we don't have to give up. And therefore, we go to the last part of the chapter, uh, beginning with verse 14. Paul says to Timothy now, this is his young protege, preacher, preacher in training. And he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through the faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, you've heard these, you've heard these verses many times before, but we, we've got to anchor ourselves in the truths of these verses. Scripture, God's word will stabilize and strengthen us when our world shifts and when our world shakes. It's the only thing that we can sink our roots into and know that we're going to be secure. Scripture is God-breathed. That simply means it's inspired by God. It was given by God. We believe that the scriptures are inerrant. They're infallible. The originals. Not so much the translations. There's probably some errors in that. But the autographs or the originals were breathed by God. They are inerrant. Back in the early 1900s, when, when our restoration movement, the, the movement of which the Christian Church and Church of Christ is a part, we were just getting going good when uh, many of the major denominations challenged this doctrine of inerrancy. And they said, oh yeah, we like the Bible. The Bible's a good thing to, to have around, but now there's, there's got to be errors in the Bible. And when they gave up the doctrine of inerrancy, they gave up stability. Um, they followed a, a, a lot of the religions and, of Christianity in the European countries, led by Germany. You know, we're back here at the beginning of 1900s, and you know what happened in Germany those next few years. Um, these, some of these same denominations that gave up the truth that God's word is all truth have lost ground. It's, it's ironic. Toy did the same thing in his communion meditation. How many times have we seen this happen? <laughs> and they're losing ground. And some have closed their doors. And you know what's interesting? Many of those same denominations that gave up the inerrancy of the Word of God a long time ago are fighting big-time battles right now over major issues that the Scripture is very plain about. They're dividing over those issues. And why? 
because they, they don't have themselves rooted in the truths of the Scriptures. Any church or ministry or family, for that matter, that abandons the authority of Scripture, no matter how important the argument might seem to be, is one generation away from giving up Christianity itself. You can't be strong Christian without being strong Scripture. And we've got to hold to that. And he says, he says Scripture is useful, it's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. God's Word is the, is the best repair manual. You know, some of you guys, you got, you got uh, repair manuals for your car at the house. The Bible is the best repair manual for our spiritual souls and lives. It's a road map. It's the best GPS you could ever follow. Um, it's a love letter. And, and then in verse 17, Paul says it equips us for good works. For doing the things that Christians ought to do. Let, let me just give you a three, three of the things that we're going to be looking at that are based in Scripture. Because we're living in times where it's going to be more and more difficult to do good. To do good. So here's one of them. I think these might be on the screen. I'm not sure. In a world where Christians are labeled as bigots and backward, we will be known for doing good. Serving the least of these and loving our neighbors. That, that mindset comes from Scripture. And, you know, there's going to be times, there have already been times that I've wanted to get up in arms when God's truths are challenged. That's not what we're supposed to do. Another one is this. In a world where Christians are opposed and mistreated, we will love our persecutors. That mindset is in Scripture. Jesus himself taught it. But that's difficult to do when you're upset. So in a world where faith or truth is feeling-based, we're going to remain rooted to the Christian Scriptures. No matter what the cost, we will elevate the Scriptures as a standard for everything we believe and do. Why would we do that? Because we love our children and we want them to experience life and truth that are found only in the pages of God's Word. I talked with um, Jessica Freeman. We had a good talk the other day and it was very timely since I was preparing this message. You know, Jessica's WRE teacher. She is able to reach kids with the gospel that I would never be able to reach, and even Adam. Because she's in the schools. Now, they have to bring the kids out of the school to teach them, but they do that. And, and I, just, I just threw a question out of her. In, in the Covington school system, based on the students you have in WRE, which is 300 and some, I think, how many of them are active in church or even or associated with a church? And she said, mm, maybe 10%. Possibly some of them 20%. That's what we're looking at, folks. She says whenever there's a Bible in front of them, most of those kids are enchanted by it. 
They have, they have no idea what's going on. Uh, well, I was going to give you an Old Testament example of, of this post-truth thing, and, and we're running out of time. But in the Old Testament, uh, Jeremiah, the prophet, he made some predictions. He made some prophecies, which were God-given prophecies, about the future of Judah, God's people. And, and the prophecy was that Jerusalem is going to fall, Babylon is going to come in and destroy everything and take you captive. And the king found out about it, and Jeremiah had to go into hiding, and, and the king sent one of his men to get those prophecies, which had been written down, and, and he and his aides sat around the fire, and they read them, and as they read them, he took a penknife and cut that one out and threw it in the fire, and he cut that one out and threw it in the fire. Uh, you can read about it over in Jeremiah chapter 36. Until all of those bad prophecies, God's word, that had been made were thrown into the fire. And, and the Bible says that he nor all of his people around him had any fear about doing that. Well, that's, that's what often happens in the world today. We don't have enough respect or fear for what God has said. Sometime back, I, uh, we, we were studying this subject in my Sunday school class, and I made the point that Thomas Jefferson uh, had a lot of respect for Jesus Christ, but he did not believe that Jesus did miracles. And, and I mentioned that he rewrote the Gospels and left out all the miracles. Loved the parables. And one day I was looking at Ed Williams' library. Guess what I found? The Jefferson Bible. Selected by Thomas Jefferson. Sure enough, Christ's teachings. All of them right here. But miracles? Not a one. Now we stand in awe of that, but what have we allowed to be taken out of God's Word because we didn't believe it or we didn't teach it? You know, we're, we're just as bad, I'm afraid, at times, as he was. Uh, in 1800, the French Institute in Paris issued a list of 82 errors in the Bible that they believed would destroy Christianity. Their reasoning was, prove the scriptures unreliable and the religion falls with it. I believe that's true. Today, largely because of archaeological finds and new manuscript discoveries, not one of those 82 presumed errors exists. They've all been taken care of. And that's what happens when you challenge the Word of God. The world has always been looking for ways to discredit God's truth. One of the things we're going to find is... that our country is going to look down more on fundamentalist Christians who believe everything in the Bible is true than anyone else. They're going to accept and get along with anybody who labels themselves a Christian but is able to handle half-truths. But they're going to come down the hardest on fundamental Christians who say the Bible is the standard and the objective for all truth. Um... 
I want us to, I want us to see Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 6. And, uh, you know, keep in mind that we're talking about the scriptures here, the word of God. We're not talking about tradition. There, there's a difference between the Bible, what the Bible says, the scriptures, and traditions of the church. It, 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 it makes me marvel. Um, you know, we, we need to remember that the Apostle Paul never sang Rock of Ages. And he didn't preach in King, King James Version style. And a lot of people were surprised at that. Um, so we, we need to not confuse standing up and rooting ourselves in what the scripture says. I, I'm afraid that too many people are, are battling more trying to keep old traditions from going away than they are the scriptures. And, and if that's true, that's a sad vendetta. Um, I, I was thinking yesterday, if, if we were to sing the 23rd Psalm the way that the early church sang it, we would have people saying, you know, I don't like this all this newfangled stuff. but it would be older than the old stuff. Uh, Romans 15, uh, verses 4 through 6. This, this is a great, great passage. And I want to leave you with it. Um, Romans 15, verses 4 through 6. Everything that was written in the past, talking about scripture, was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we may have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the depth of the scriptures. The endurance that are found in the scriptures and the encouragement that they give us. And as things get worse on the outside, we are more and more going to need to secure ourselves in what's true. Rooted and grounded in the scriptures. In a world where truth is feeling based, we will remain rooted in the Christian scriptures and their life-giving direction. In uh, 1962, the theologian Karl Barth came to visit the United States. Um, he is now with the Lord. But when he came here, he addressed a whole lot of crowds. Someone one day asked him while he was in the States, what's the greatest theological insight you've ever had? the greatest theological insight you've ever had. And he said, oh, that's easy. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. It's the scriptures. 
that will keep us safe and secure. We're going to sing a couple of verses of in times like these. We need a savior. We need an anchor. The second verse says we need the Bible to be our rock, to be our standard, to be our objective. You know, I, I feel I've always been blessed by being a part of the Christian church, Church of Christ, um, because of the stand that this movement has always taken on, on the Word of God. Everything, everything should come back to this book. And if we continue to bring everything back to this book, we're going to be all right. If you need to make a decision today, we invite you to come. Uh, we're going to sing, I think it's the first two verses. Uh, we need a Savior and we need the Bible. And we definitely need the Bible, don't we? Let's stand together. Let's sing.